Hello, welcome to Process. My name's Stephen Walsh. This is going to be a regular podcast that sees me talking to comic creators about how they put their work together, how they go about constructing the strips and stories that then see print. For this debut episode, I'm very pleased to welcome Krent Abel. Hello. So I think the natural way to do this would be to go chronologically. Mm-hmm. So as a kid, did you read comics? Yeah, I did. Um, probably from about the age of seven. My mum used to buy me Spider-Man comics. I used to read them. And then I switched to 2008 when that came out. And it's a very forgot about Yeah, I forgot about Spider-Man. And now, yeah, I was well into the 2008 was it the American Spider-Mans or the British ones? It was British reprints, right, I think. big sort of magazine type thing. They were kind of rectangular shaped. No, yeah. no, that was the New Titans, I think. That was rectangular. Okay. But I had the Spider-Mans. The colours were really beautiful on the covers. And it was really nice, nice. you'd get sort of like samplings from different issues, wouldn't it? It wouldn't just be a particular story. You'd get like bits and pieces. From yeah. And you'd have like odd little backup strips. Yeah, it was from the whole history of Marvel, I think. You'd have like old Kirby stories. And then more modern Spider-Man. It was cool. The art was really good. Yeah, I liked it. But in 2008, you know, it's all comics, but it's a very different beast than that. Yeah, there was way more violence, which was cool. <laughs> Stories like flesh, dinosaurs biting up cowboys, ripping their heads off. Yeah, that was really cool. All that kind of stuff I like. Just dread all the early stuff. Yeah. So was it characters and comics as opposed to creators or were you even then sort of noticing the names that, that came in um probably i noticed brian bolland for sure because his work really stood out uh, kevin o'neill mike mcmahon is that how you pronounce yeah, it mcmahon, yeah. yeah all that stuff yeah totally blew me away and like with brian bolland i imagine the sort of the judge death stuff is like the seminal dreads yeah yeah and i'll still look at that yeah. and dig it out of soft and think how the hell did he draw that? Even <laughs> now. I mean, he would have drawn that, what, seven pages, probably in a week or right. something? Yeah, yeah. And it looks so photorealistic, like it's from, like they were stood in front of him or something. It's amazing. Yeah, his yeah. lines are so clean, aren't they? It's just yeah. remarkable. And as you say, the sort of turnaround for 2000 AD is just ridiculous. Yeah. Amazing, I read an interview with him that he used to do it, he used to draw the pages, some of them, on the way, on the train. <laughs> to the IPC office or whatever, so right, he'd actually right. be inking it on the train. Yeah, he got pretty straight train lines, wobble. considering... Yeah. <laughs> was caused by, uh, yeah, train wobble. Yeah, it's amazing. Remarkable. Yeah, the work in those days. Uh, Dave Gibbons as well churned it out amazingly. All brilliant work. I was, like, going through a load of back progs recently, bagging them all up, and I was looking at a lot of the readers' pages. It's quite interesting, and you do see... Um, like I saw a picture from Shaky Kane. Right. He must right. have been 12 or something. <laughs> uh, there's a David Hine one later. There's yeah, quite yeah. a few letters from Warren Ellis. Right. About, keeps, he keeps asking for models or something, just dread models. Oh, okay. So when you're reading these comics, are you drawing at that point? Yeah, probably was. Um, yeah, just typical children's kind of aliens and stuff. I think I did some very basic kind of comics, which I probably thought were amazing and really funny when I was about 13 or 14, but, yeah, they weren't, they weren't so good. So would it have been sort of pin-ups, portraits, or would it have been sort of panel stuff? So can, so uh, no panels. No, I just really started drawing comics, I guess, when I was about 14 or 15. 
And then later on, when I went to art school, I did a few. But yeah, it was not really that encouraged. So when you're 14 and 15, you're doing the first sort of sequential stuff. Is that still influenced by 2000 AD, or have you sort of like yeah. moved away to... Yeah. No, yeah. So, in fact, yeah, I forgot. I had one published in like the the local newspaper, right. the Grimsby Evening Telegraph, <laughs> when I was about yeah, when I was fifteen. That was called the Vigilante, and that was a hell of a lot like Juice Trade. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish I had still had some to have a look at. But I did that for about three issues. Right. And then it, oh, and so it wasn't one off. It was. Yeah, it was like I guess it was like a job sort of. Yeah. But then I went to meet the editor, and he was like, "Yeah, we don't know really." <laughs> we're not so sure how long because I thought that this is my life sorted now yeah. I'm just going to be doing this every week so I was so what gutted what do I do the vigilante yeah <laughs> I'm an old man yeah I've done it since I was 15 everyone was a vigilante but yeah it didn't work out was it uh, UK set US set Grimsby set <laughs> a future Grimsby yeah that would be a so dystopian yeah, well, I mean, that's what Grimms is like, anyway. The mean streets. Yeah, it's rough, man. Real rough. No. Uh, I think it was just in a generic kind of future, Futuropolis kind of <laughs> setting, you know. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought it through. I didn't really write it before I did it. I wrote it as I was drawing it. Right. Kind of thing. So, so, so you had my idea some images. Yeah, I would draw one panel and then it was mainly people shooting each other. <laughs> that's it, really. Yeah, typical kind of stuff. It seems uh, an odd thing for a newspaper to go for. I think really their idea was that just it would be an article right. about some freakish kid, really. <laughs> <laughs> but I kind of pushed it into a series and then they took me to the editor's office and I was like really sweating for some reason. I remember sweating more than I ever had in my life and the editor was explaining as best as he could, that it would, wasn't going to be a continuing kind of series. So, yeah, I was gutted, I thought. Oh, so so I didn't really do comics for quite a while after that. But a, a, sort of, <laughs> uh, a seminal experience for uh, yeah, any good. sort of creator or, you know... It's good to get published, person. yeah. Yeah. But also the, 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 the sort of double-edged sword of... You had that early experience of being published, that early experience of being... Crushed. Yeah. So, yeah, you, you're like, okay, this isn't a thing that is necessarily going to run on. So it does sort of brace you, I suppose. Yeah. The, yeah, the, it's the, good. The big bad world. Yeah, I guess so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. At the time, that wasn't how you took it. Wasn't it? No, I was good at that thing. This is character for me. Yeah. I think I moved on to Impressionism after that and kind of forgot about comics. Monet and stuff like that. Well, that's the thing, as, as a teenager, you know, you, and you, you, you're studying art, as you say, um, what are the other sort of elements that come in that intrigue you in art generally? Uh, at that time, it was probably more stuff like Salvador Dali. Uh, kind of realistic kind of stuff and freaky as well. I probably hadn't got into minimalism or any avant-garde stuff, as kids don't generally do. They? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, stuff with cool kind of paintings and things. Yeah. So like Bruegel, Max Ernst. All that kind of thing. Ron and Spot. And again, Usual. the sort of, the elements, the grotesque of it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know why I was drawn to that, really. But, yeah, it just seems to be more fun than a vase of flowers or something, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever read Mad Magazine? No. I've, to this day, I've never read any really? Mad Magazine. I've seen, like, little snippets and yeah. anthologies and things. But usually, like, little reduced kind of pages. So right, you can't even right. read it. 
But I know roughly kind of what it is. I mean, and some of the artists that came from it, like Jack Davis and Will Elder, I really like them, but I've never seen the... Yeah, I'd like to have seen it then, but I think I just kind of... I heard about that also from books and from Dan Clowes and stuff. I think he always pushes yeah. Will Elder's yeah. work. And then after... I kind of went the long way around. The same with Robert Crumb, really. Yeah. I didn't really see that when I was younger. It's not till I got a fair bit older that I checked all that stuff out. And when you see like Will Elder stuff, the just the skill is amazing. It's that precision and it's that accuracy and that so it's that cleanliness of the line that really sells the parody and the caricature. Mm. It would be quite easy just to sort of exaggerate things to the nth degree and that sort of destroys it. Whereas I think true parody that really works, it's such a fine line, isn't it? It's just like so it can be just like, you know, the the, the line of a, a an arched eyebrow. Yeah, you know, yeah. Too absolutely. Far and suddenly it just sort of the whole illusion shattered, and you're like, oh, this isn't really a thing. Whereas, you know, there's a real discipline, I think, in keeping that together. Is that something you're aware of as you're putting the images together? Absolutely. I think I'm just really perfectionist and kind of anal, really. I'll just, like you say, I would work on an eyebrow for hours until I get it right, and it would drive me mad. But it's worth it when you see that coupled with the dialogue, and it. it's tricky to get it on every single panel to get it looking like them. But I think if you get it bang on in the first few panels, you kind of got a little bit of leeway through the rest of it, really. As long as you're getting the expressions perfect, then that's all right. But, yeah, it's tricky. You've got to be real fussy. So people would know your work um, from the stool pigeon. Yeah, I started with the stool pigeon, and then I've done a few little things. A few things of Vice, One for Enemy, Your Days Are Numbered, few other bits and but some stuff I'm doing now sort of but yeah that's kind of where I started out really and how did you get the job there how did that come about um I saw an advert and uh, a copy of the stool pigeon just saying they wanted a comic artist they had a comic section oh, right. and they with like about six pages yeah so it's like open submissions essentially yeah the whole magazine was like a 1920s newspaper yeah. all the yeah. fonts and everything were like that and they wanted a comic section in the middle and yeah, I just saw an advert in it when I was in a music shop. I thought, oh yeah. And did they give it a go? Sort of, was there any sort of brief? Any sort of? No, I looked at what was already there, yeah. and I thought, okay, it's sort of music based. At that point, he wanted everything to be music based. Um, so yeah, just seems obvious. Take the piss out of musician. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. what did you send him? Was it just a one page thing, or? Um, yeah, it, all the stuff in those days was like one pages. So, I think the first one I sent in, it was a bit shit. It wasn't outrageous enough, really. And <laughs> they were like, yeah, okay, we'll see. And I could tell that they was waiting to see if they had, they were desperate for room in the magazine. Do you know what <laughs> I mean? If, there was, if they really had to have something, then they would use that one. And I thought, okay, yeah, this is not working. Let's step it up a level and just go mental. Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember what the first show was, like, in terms of who started it? first one was Dr. K. It was a... a yeah, because probably about a year before that, or maybe six months before, I was trying to do comics, but I wasn't really focused enough, really. I didn't, yeah, I didn't have a focused enough vision to be able to do it. But I had some rough ideas, and then I, I had one idea of, like, a crazy kind of doctor. So I had stories written with this doctor, and then I thought, yeah, I was in the shower one day. It just hit me, like, to put Nick Cave and this guy together. <laughs> the story's already kind of written anyway. Yeah. 
and it just worked perfectly. Yeah. It's like one of those moments, like, boom. another layer of absurdity. Yeah. That, as you say, just pushes it over and yeah. like, right, this is, this yeah. is the thing now. It's always like that when you get a good idea. It's usually two other, it's two separate ideas just jammed together. But when you get that moment and they come together in your brain, it's really nice. Yeah. So in terms of putting together your images, do you want to just talk us through your process? I have a lot of different processes, right. depending on what the job is, really, okay. and how soon the deadline is. <laughs> <laughs> what bits can I leave out? Yeah. So if you were given, mm. um, and this is a dangerous thing to say tonight, it's been an infinite amount of time. Okay. But if you, you're I'll never ideal, finish it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah. It's a, you know, one of the things I always say to people about any sort of piece of work. They're always like, I'm just worried about getting it finished. I was like, it's never finished. Yeah. Nothing's ever finished, is it? Yeah. Things get done. You're like, it's done. That's yeah. a thing now. But it's not finished because you can always change something. You can always tweak something and you would just spend. You know, yeah, it's just done when the deadline's up and yeah. you've, you've kind of fussed around enough. Yeah. You kind of know, really, I think, when you're just mucking around, you know. But given, um, let's not say an infinite amount of time, but the ideal amount of time for you to work through every sort of stage that you'd like to, what would what would you do? How would you go through it? The ideal amount of time? Well, the, uh, to, to do like one page in my ideal time would probably take me about two weeks. Right. Really, I guess the norm is about a day or something. I don't know. So, yeah, I'm pretty slow. Uh, most of the time, yeah, I just um, grid it out on the computer in Photoshop, then I print out the grid of all the panel shapes, and then I put tracing paper over the top of that, and then I draw it on the tracing paper. Right. And then I kind of move it around, jiggle it around, so it fits nicely in the, in the panel. Sometimes it'll be two or three pieces of tracing paper. So, yeah, it's a lot of mucking around. So you're sort of generating the image and then framing it, just sort yeah. of moving it around. Yeah, because stuff. sometimes you'll draw, like, the character, but, crap, it should be left to the like an inch to the left or just a few centimetres to fit the speech ball in. Right. Because you're always, it's like a jigsaw, you're always trying to move everything around to fit all the visual information. So I'll do all the panels so that there'll be all these different pieces of tracing paper, probably about 40 or something if it's it's a proper three or four page story. I don't know. And then I get those pieces of tracing paper and I put another piece of tracing paper on top of that one. I kind of stick it down with masking tape. Then I'll ink on, on the other piece of tracing paper. Then I'll scan that in once it's inked. So you're inking directly onto the second piece of tracing. Yeah, right. it it, so, it saves me having to rub out all the pencil Oops. lines. Yeah, yeah. Because sometimes if you're doing it on pencil on a tracing paper, you can never really get rid of all the smudges and stuff. I don't know. I think my method is probably just yeah, pretty unique. I'm not sure many other people do that. It's just something I've come to through trial and error. But I wouldn't recommend it to anybody at all, really. Because of the time it takes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's just the method which gives me the best control of the result, really. Because if I'm drawing on tracing paper, I can draw a figure and I can flip the tracing paper over and see immediately what's wrong with the drawing. Whereas if it was just on a white piece of paper, I have to go and stand in front of the mirror and all that stuff. So, yeah. Don't recommend it. That sounds like it would save a bit of time as well. So, yeah. I don't, yeah, absolutely, but I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty slow. <laughs> but anyway, if I'm in a rush, I'll just get the Wacom tablet and draw it straight into the computer. Right. And not bother with any paper or any ink. Yeah, because I can't stand all the ink. <laughs> Look, I've got like little tattoos from the ink. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a really sharp nib. 
And when I reach over to get the pens, I always stab myself with it. So I've got like these little holes <laughs> and the ink stays in your hand because course, obviously yeah, yeah. I use good quality ink, you know. No Winsor & Newton. <laughs> that wouldn't work. Well, we'll, we'll get to the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Viscosity. So once you um, scan it in to the computer, you, yeah. do you tidy it up at all? Or yeah, I do. Yeah. yeah, then that was probably going to take another day of tidying it all up, yeah. Sawing it out, moving a few things around. All and that. then colouring? Then on another layer I'll colour it, or maybe two or three layers. With the speech bubbles, I will... This is pretty mental as well. Because <laughs> <laughs> I don't like speak, drawing all the speech bubbles actually on the page or even on the tracing paper. Because the writing is so small that I don't like to do it. And I... And sometimes you'll write a word and it won't be quite the same font style almost as in another pa panel. So I just write, I just get a white sheet of paper, grid it out with all the lines, and then I write the entire dialogue onto that one sheet or two sheets of paper, not even in the shape of the speech bubble, so I just write the whole thing. Then I cut that out on the computer and fit it into the bubbles that I've already drawn, right. which is crazy as well. But it works for me, I don't know. Yeah, I don't think that's what I mean. I don't think anybody. I'm slightly embarrassed when I meet other cartoonists and I tell them about the way I do because I know it's just a crazy way of working. But the thing is, it is a thing of when you find a way that works for you. Yeah, that's the best way, isn't it? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, you know, the, the, the fact that everyone else is doing it where they're drawing onto the thing—that's great for them. Mm. It's not working. For you. And it, uh, it was interesting, like you said it there um, very naturally. So I don't like words on you, you don't like doing that it throws off the image for you yeah, yeah. so if it's do if it is throwing off the image then separating it is uh, the best way to go yeah it's just because i like to my stuff to be hand lettered and it's really important for me and i like every bubble when when you're writing a load of uh, lettering sometimes you'll find that your font slightly changes so by the end of the page you're on a different font and the reader will see that, and the font has to exactly match what people are saying, or else yeah. to keep it funny. It's like yeah. I find if I use slightly the wrong font, the whole comic strip ain't funny anymore. So, it's funny, yeah, it's I'm really be, fussy. It would about be almost everything. probably unconscious for a reader, but the slight sort of deviation or deterioration mm. would be something that would yeah. sort of throw you, and you probably wouldn't even know why, but it would throw you off. And I think it is natural, as you say, when you're um, sort of doing. Uh, that amount of lettering, you would just naturally your, your muscles would sort of you know yeah it changes tire and, yeah 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 it's, it's really to... you've got to get your brain just in the right state of slightly concentrating, but not too much. It's, yeah, it's a you bit get zen. Loose enough to get <laughs> yeah, you get loose enough, focused enough to sort of keep it. Yeah, it's tricky, but it's weird. It took me quite a while to find my own Crenable font or whatever through trial and error but yeah I've got it now but <laughs> at the beginning when I was doing like the first Doctor Cave I would probably spend like a whole week doing different kind of fonts on paper and just trying to find the right one which makes it really funny because some are just not funny it really depresses me when I see a, a wrong the wrong font on a comic because it it's just so important really I think it's yeah, really. It's the thing I was saying to someone the other day, you know, one of the sort of refreshing things about the comics industry and comics culture over the last sort of couple of decades has been the fact that people are starting to realise or, you know, acknowledge that colourists and letterers 
the key to the whole process. You know, it's yeah. like, you know, the idea that, you know, you just throw the colours and chuck the words in afterwards and it's just a functional thing. It, you know, if you're doing it right, and like your colouring is superb, it's like, it's, I, I imagine it's something that you take, a, you know, as much time over as you do with line work. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, it's just about getting the mood right of the whole thing. Plus, making the whole page balanced, the whole composition, so it's not kind of all lopsided with the colours. Because, of course, in, in your work and the, the sort of work you're doing, tone is key, isn't it? That's yeah, the thing. Yeah. And, and colour is such an important part of that in terms mm. of setting mood and tone. Yeah, I can't, I just like my stuff to look quite bright as well and kind of, kind of beautiful, really, and almost kind of charming so that it. At the same time, you've got horrific things going on, but it all looks really beautiful. Well, that's you know? the, that's yeah. part of the key to it, isn't it? The, the tension between yeah. those two things. If it if it looked completely horrific and it is completely horrific, then it's just a one note thing. Yeah. Like, okay, this is just uh, purely toy. Whereas yeah. that, the tension between that well, this is this is definitely beautiful, but it's also horrible. <laughs> <laughs> that's much more interesting. That's a much richer experience. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I just kind of like the bright. Colours that, when you think of comics, just the idea of comics, just that kind of brightness. Yeah, there is that yeah. sort of like the popping primary colour. It's like... Well, as you say, like with um, uh, the sort of Kirby hmm. era Marvel stuff, you know, yeah. um, so much the dynamism there is obviously Kirby's own line work and energy. But the fact that they did, you know, uh, Stanley for a while had Marvel brands as Marvel pop comics. They, oh, right. Yeah, they, they yeah, were yeah. Very, very much all about, you know, bar, bright, brash colours yeah. as, as superheroes were generally because of the, the primary colours. So it is a thing that comics do particularly well, I think. Yeah, I think it looks like the recent Shaky Kane. The one with David Quantic. Yeah, That's that one. Because you're a robot. Yeah, I just yeah. love like that kind of colours, yeah, you know. Yeah. But it's, it looks like everything's bright and maybe it's easy to do that, but it isn't. Yeah. You've got to balance all the colours on the page, the wrong one just, yeah, screws it all up. Yeah, it's tricky to get things really... But I just, yeah, I kind of like cute, bright colours. <laughs> <laughs> like kind of ice creamy colours, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. sort of, uh, it, it literally looks like a confection. Yeah. But when you bite into it, yeah, <laughs> tastes like a dog turd. <laughs> yeah. In terms of materials, are there particular? You know, you you, you made it clear there, but we're going to talk nibs now. Let's, yeah. talk, let's, <laughs> talk, let's talk. Let's talk nibs. Let's talk inks. Let's talk. Uh, yeah, you, I mean, obviously, you have, I'm sure, particular um, favourites in terms. Absolutely, of, yeah, yeah. No, I'm happy we got to. This. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. The first thing, uh, Stadler pencil. Right. Red and black stripes, HB. I've tried 2B, but it's too soft. <laughs> it's got a rubber on the end. You've got to get them on through the rubber on the end. And they come in packs. Don't buy them single if you're a budding artist. <laughs> get a whole pack. Um, well, they're great because you can draw and then you don't have to reach for the rubber. You can just flip the pencil over. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Save you a lot of time if you work slow like I do. Um, what else? Um, heavy quality Tracing paper. Yeah, I was going to say tracing stuff. paper. Yeah. Is there a particular brand? Is there a particular pack? I think it's Daler I use. I just get... get an, it's pretty easy to find. Yeah. It's like a blue cover. Get the heavy one, I think. Um, for pens, I use Hunt 107, I think it's called. It's like a classic. I read in a magazine article um, 
Dave Cooper recommended it. Right. You know, that guy. Yeah. Apparently, yeah. Apparently, a lot of comic artists back in the day used to use this nib, and it's great for getting a really thick line and a really thin line at the same time. You can switch from going super thin and then whoosh, and just really fat. Just a single fat. nib. Yeah. Yeah, so you're saving, again, saving time. Yeah, in terms of it's the closest time. thing to a brush, really. Right, right. As a pen. And a brush as well. I kind of use a mixture of a brush, just like a Winsor & Newton 3, I think. <laughs> and then, yeah, I kind of do as much as I can with a brush. And then all the super fine details, like if I'm doing faces, I'll do that with a, with a 107 or 102. <laughs> <laughs> so you're sort of building the image up, like the, the, yeah. the broader strokes and then moving into detail. Yeah, the, absolutely. Yeah, I just get in there because... Ideally, I would do the whole thing with a brush, I think, just because the strokes look beautiful, really. Um, but I don't work on a giant piece of paper, so I wouldn't be able to get into all the eyelashes and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, they don't go around corners very well, brushes. Right, right. I think. Yeah, so you, a pen yeah, is good we're for that. the curve of an eyebrow again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's all about eyebrows. It's amazing, actually, what it, how much eyebrows. <laughs> figure them out. <laughs> yeah. And you said you've got the um, Wacom as well. Mm. Yeah, that takes a while to get used to. Because first of all, it's like drawing with your foot or something. <laughs> it's like, yeah, the connection is not there. But after a while, like riding a bike or something, your brain just picks it up and you can kind of draw okay-ish. Not brilliantly. Yeah, you still like the physicality of... I'd rather draw with a pencil. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I've seen some comic artists, probably richer ones than me, have got like a a screen and they draw directly onto the screen. Right. I saw that Frank quietly doing that. Yeah, yeah. I have to figure out how they do that or what program or whatever. But I just draw it on the Wacom in front of me and I look at the screen. It's a bit kind of wobbly. Because like, I yeah, don't draw, nice. and that, that's the thing. When the, the Wacoms and the, and the light came in, I, I couldn't get my head around the idea because... You know, as I can't draw, but just knowing about the physical sensation, like the the, the delicacy of touch mm. that you can get with a pencil and, and pen, and that's me talking when I'm mm. drawing like cats for my nieces and nephews. Right. The idea of having, um, you know, and as I've never used a Wacom, but just having this, I don't know. I imagine it feels so alien. But I suppose it's like, as you say, it's learning how your touch and feel can adjust itself and can work on the pad. Yeah. In way. Your brain picks it up, like I say, after a while. But it looks pretty wonky. It looks pretty right. wonky a lot of the time. But the the great thing is you, you've made a mark, and if it's perfect, you don't need to draw it again and again. You just draw it the first time. It's super clean. You don't need to clean it up or anything. And sometimes you get the, like, you've got a happy accident. You can just keep it like that. Like, if it was just drawing in pencil and then doing it in ink over the top, Sometimes the ink is not quite matching the pencil, and the pencil's perfect, but the ink is not, and you've right. so you've just kind of like missed it a little bit. But with the Wacom, if you do get it right, you've got it right, and it's just sorted from that that point on. Really, I don't really read a massive amount of comics, to be honest, which is probably not great. I don't know, what do I read? You said about Shaky Kings. I do like his stuff. Yeah. yeah, it's really good. I like. I've read two comics this year. One of them was that one and another one that you probably know the name of is about a little fairy <laughs> lives Beautiful in a darkness. what? Beautiful darkness. yeah that one I'm, let's be fair I'm good at it yeah yeah you're good I'm also 
talking about something um, when we were talking earlier about the tension between um, for people who haven't read Beautiful Darkness um, yeah. it's a, a book that came out this year from two French creators and essentially the idea is it follows these woodland folk yeah. uh, who have are forced to make a home in a forest and there's animals around them and ostensibly it looks like a fairy tale there's a princess and there's various sort of mm. uh, magical creatures and these uh, birds and squirrels but I don't know is it a spoiler should I say spoiler alert nah I think the clue's there at the time yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. Uh, but you, you realise that their home is essentially based around a, a dead girl in a forest and as the story goes on these creatures that look, very, you know, very much like yeah. what we expect from fairy tales, um, are just treat each other horrifically. You know, they go try and befriend the birds or enslave the birds or get eaten by the birds. It's yeah. just it's horrible. Uh, I described it to someone as um, if Werner Herzog was given a Disney film to make. Yeah, that would that's be it. Close. It's just sort of like this <laughs> horrific vision of, of what nature is. It yeah. is um, something that is, you know, does consume. Absolutely, the yeah, the little the the things, the little creatures and the fairies. While they're while they're kind of evil and horrible, they're also quite innocent at the same time. Yeah, that yeah. we can see ourselves in them yeah. and their behaviour. So it's it sounds corny, a fairy tale that actually is really dark, but it's done in a fresh way that yeah, it rises above all that. I really enjoyed that one. And again, it's it cool. that tension of the book even when it's showing you horrible things, is absolutely beautiful. Mm. The artwork is so sort of clean and crisp. And again, the colouring is spot on, where it's a lot of very... It's all you know clearly taking place in a forest. There's lots mm. of lush greens and rich browns. But it, it makes it very clear that although those are you know leaves and bark, you know the green can also be decayed. And the brown can also be rusty. It's yeah. sort of showing you that what we, you know, colours are not necessarily coded into one thing. They, they can change as everything changes. Absolutely. It's very beautiful at the same time, even though it, it has got that darkness. It's, yeah, it, it was really excellent. I really enjoyed that one. Yeah, it's all watercolour, in fact. That's quite impressive, That's, the way they, yeah. they made it. Because, yeah, every page is just a painted watercolour page. Which is tricky because there's no Photoshop yeah. time for cock-ups, really. You just get it right or you get it wrong, you know, and throw the page away. So, yeah, it's a tremendous piece of work, that one. Is watercolour something that you've... I do like, yeah. I've done quite a lot of watercolour stuff. Sometimes if I have just like a one-off illustration, I'll do watercolour. Because, yeah, I like the effect. It's really beautiful, the way the water just does its own little thing sometimes and the colours bleed into each other. And the drying, you know, yeah. depending on you know how much paint has got up in a particular area, it sort of dries, and you get this lovely sort of blend of colours across the thing. Yeah, it's just, I think it's more like nature in a way. It's like you've got a hand in it, but you haven't got total control. You're doing the painting, and nature or whatever is doing the rest. Whereas if yeah, you, it's almost sort of alchemy, isn't it? Yeah, you've got the elements there. Yeah, and you put it, to, but they're still, you know how it reacts to the oxygen in the room is yeah. going to give it a thing that you can't control. You never know. It's like if you have a white, just blob some water down and then drop the paint in it, you know it's going to spread out, but which way, you don't know. It's, yeah, sometimes you just have these amazing accidents. It's kind of knowing how to move it all around. I think that's part of being an artist. 
also kind of working with the accidents. But you said yeah, you said earlier about happy accidents, and it mm. is a thing of I think, and again, it comes through to process. You have to sort of allow in your process. If you have a very fastidious, exact way of working, but only in one position, when you're not allowing any chance to come into mm. it, you're missing out on a lot of things. Like you're going to make quite sterile work. I think. Yeah, I think it's just having your brain open all the time to spot them when you see them. Just yeah, keep keep your eyes open really. In terms of the the future as well, have you got any projects on the horizon that you'd be happy to talk about? Kind of the stuff that's coming out in a few months is stuff I did a few months ago anyway. I also have kind of stuff that I'm working on now, which will be out, God, next year or something. Right, right. But the stuff that's coming out soon is, um, I did a seven-page story for a comic called Meanwhile, which Soaring Pigeon, Soaring Pigeon, Soaring... Yes. Oh, mixed up with stool pigeon. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> Penguin are doing. That's coming out in October, I think. Right. It's got uh, Mark Stafford and David Hines. A bad, bad place. Right. Uh, Strange Haven, Gary Spencer Millage, and a kind of possibly one-off. I don't know. We'll see how it goes. Story that I did called uh, Ink, as in Incorporated. Right. Okay. Which is kind of a weird kind of office science fiction story. With interdimensional travel. Sadness. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's pretty weird, but so there's no that, pop stars in that one. Right. So, so this is is moving into sort of, you know, uh, genre fiction. I suppose you'd call it for want of a better description. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. It's, but with your own unique twist, of course. Of course. <laughs> but so, so it, it's designed as a standalone thing. But as you say, there's a possibility for well, expanding. Yeah, I kind of wrote the one story, and then I thought, hang on, these characters can all go to a lot more places and I've so in my head and kind of on my mobile phone I've got like the rest of it written kind of the next story arc and the next few pages but we'll see I mean people might read it and think that's just a load of bollocks which <laughs> they could be even completely right because it is sort of a load of bollocks <laughs> yeah I wrote it quite late at night and then I thought you know it sounded good at the time the but, thing yeah. is though, We've all written things late at night, yeah. and then but then you look at it the next day, and if it still holds up, sort of, yeah, sort of. I like to think, well, even if the next day you look at it and it isn't right, then if it was right yesterday, then part maybe it still There's is right, you know, you know. Yeah, yeah, so let's just do it anyway, you know, right. because that's the thing. Comics take so long to draw that you have to. There's no time for thinking. Mm, maybe this ain't right. You know, you've already you're halfway through something that's taken three months or whatever. Yeah. You just got to keep going. Just... You've got a fix in your head that at one point this seemed like an awesome idea. So just trust that. And, and living something like for three months, you know, mm-hmm. it's difficult to keep the magic going of the yeah. idea. The sort of initial burst of enthusiasm, the adrenaline is not necessarily going to. Yeah, it's, it's a, a rush. <laughs> 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 I could just see myself like snowboarding with this. So would that be something that you'd look to do other stories and anthologies, or would you look to do a, a, a larger single story or a collection of larger? Yeah. Stories? The idea of doing like a whole graphic novel is a bit scary, but I like the idea of doing stuff in anthologies, like episodes or something. Yeah. And having like um, a concept. It's a nice thing to have, isn't it? Just because then, if you are invited to an anthology and they go, you've got four pages, like, well, I can do another story Mm. from this world. With this, yeah. 
It's quite weird because I draw it and the, the the characters are not really sketched out that heavily. But after a while you think about it, thinking, yeah, I can see where all these people can go and how they can develop and stuff. It's quite interesting. It could be good. But, I mean, people might read it and say, that, like I say, this is actually not very good. So are you saying you've got ideas? <laughs> <laughs> you've got ideas on your mobile phone. How do you... Do you carry a sketchbook? Is that something? Um, like? I have a sketchbook at home that I kind of draw in, but if ideas pop up, I just kind of write it on my phone. But you don't carry a sketchbook with you? and No, always. Goes. Nah, I don't sit in cafes drawing people or anything so like that. So do you set aside time at home to sort of go, I'm going to just sit down and just sort of freestyle sketch some things down? Kind of usually I'll be watching TV late at night and I'll, an idea will pop in my head. Maybe I stole it off the programme I was watching, I don't know. <laughs> and then, but... Yeah, and then I'll just sit there drawing, really. I tend to do most of my work like that at night. Or very early in the morning. That's like... Do you set aside? Is there a particular time? No. No, it's a case of... If an idea pops in my head. I mean, I probably think about comics and ideas... Well, my comics (laughs) and ideas for them anyway. A lot of the time, anyway. Yeah. That's a large portion of my time is spent thinking about that. (laughs) That's... The stew, isn't it? Yeah. That's the thing. That's, uh, I think, a really important thing to sort of... And, and as you say as well, in terms of having an idea and living with an idea, you know, pondering it and thinking it almost like it's almost like a filtration process, isn't mm. it? You sort of have the idea and then you just, like, think about it and think about it and, think mm. about it and like, build and things fall off. It's quite a natural sort yeah. of... Yeah. Sometimes they can take, like, years or something. Yeah. You, it's like you'll have a little scene or a character in your head. And you're just working on it and working on it. and But eventually it'll click. Usually, like I say, if another idea joins it and it, they go really well together. And then, yeah, it comes together. But I've got characters and stuff that I still haven't quite figured out and ideas. It, but it just stays there in your brain nagging you. And, and if it's good enough, it'll come out. Do the ideas tend to come visually first or verbally first? Or is it a, a mix of both? Like, would you sort of... Would, would, would it be an image that would, would strike you, or would it be the idea of an image? It's kind sense? of the idea for the concept, really, I guess. And sometimes just one little panel or one image, or just a character or an interaction between two people. And that's what kind of sparks it. If I don't really have that, I don't bother doing when drawing a comic. When you go the page, is it a, a, a drawing you're doing first, or are you sort of writing out? what are you thinking about as an idea? Um, what do you mean? Do I write it first? Or what? Yeah, would you sort of like make a, a note saying there is a person doing this or would it be a case of like getting the image down in terms of how you're... Yeah, writing? first of all, I'll just write it. Right. And sometimes there'll be like little drawings of panels. If I if I have an idea for how a panel will look, I'll get it down quick before I forget it. Really. But yeah, I've got sketch pads at home just full of little bits of dialogue and little ideas panels and just all jiggled around yeah. and would it be a case of like every so often just going back there and just sort of like having a look over yeah to pretty much there? yeah usually i find it's best to wait a month or two and then go and have a look and you can tell if it's any good and add a few more little bits to it but yeah you can tell pretty easy which ones are the good ones i've got something coming out in vice in a few weeks uh the a to z of torture got the thing coming out in meanwhile which is probably going to be December or something. I've got a comic also coming out later in the year, which is part of a movie called The Fitzroy for a 
Dead Canary comics. But yeah, I'm not sure when that's going to be out. Okay. So keep them peeled. You can find us at Process Comics on Twitter. Process has spun out of a monthly workshop and discussion group hosted at Gosh Comics on the first Wednesday of every month. Have a look at goshlondon.com for more information about that. Process is part of the Holdfast Network. Visit holdfastnetwork.com for other podcasts you may enjoy.